Welcome to Nonprofit Lowdown. I'm your host, Rhea Wong. Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of Nonprofit Lowdown with me, Rhea Wong, your host. And today, my guest is Nakia Drummond, who is the founder and CEO of NLD Strategic, which is a strategy consulting firm and a founder of The Well, which is an entrepreneurship network for Black women entrepreneurs. So we'll talk about both those things and also running two organizations at the same time. What? Do you sleep? I do. I do sleep. I'm making it a priority in my life, but I do work a lot. So tell me a little bit first about yourself and I guess your first business, NLD Strategic. My background is in consulting. My first job out of college was in consulting, in management consulting, and I hated it. (laughs) I hated it initially. I think I was disillusioned by going out into the work world, but I also think that companies had not at all at that point thought about the generation, the millennials being different than the generation before. And so they were not checking for us, right? Like there was nothing in place for us. And I felt that. I felt I'm very much millennial. I'm early millennial, but all the things that millennials want, I wanted early in my career. So understanding my impact and the work that I do, not having some arbitrary career ladder, all the things that matter. And so that wasn't in place where I was, but I also wanted, because I want to impact and I wanted to be of service in spaces that I really cared about. And I didn't feel like I could do that there or didn't understand how I was possibly doing that there. I left and I became a teacher. And when I left, I'm, man, there's so much that school districts don't have in place from a business standpoint after being in the business world and the corporate setting. And after being in the school district in various capacities after teaching for several years, I worked in Baltimore City Schools for almost 10 years. I left and I started NLD Strategic, which I say to people, marries both of my worlds. Like it marries my consulting world and it marries my education world and brings it together in a way that allows me to do work that I care about and work that is really important to me, but also to bring my business acumen to the table in service of things that I care about. So that is how NLD Strategic got started. And it was one of those things where it was time, like my allegiance and alliances to people who were in the district who I worked for and served and supported, they were all leaving as administrations changed just in government and school districts, they change. And so it was just a perfect opportunity for me to step out. I was also a new mom. When you said, do you sleep? Well, I started my business when I had a six month old baby. I'm just kind of crazy. Like, I want to talk about starting the business because you can't even imagine how many folks I talk to every single day, many of whom are women of color. When I talk about entrepreneurship, when I talk about starting my own business, the way you started your own business, their eyes light up and then they go, oh no, but I couldn't do that. Mm -hmm. That's not for me. So I want to talk about what are the things that you really had to think about and get over in order to step out on your own? Because it is a scary thing to be like, I am a small business owner. Yeah. I live and die by what I bring in. I don't know if this was the case for you, but I definitely had to get over some imposter syndrome. Like, who am I to charge people money for this thing that I do? So tell me biggest lessons learned about starting your own business. I don't feel I am over imposter syndrome. Like I feel every new level you experience a new level of that feeling. I, or at least I have, I have not sort of just conquered it as a whole. And I think I have to accept that it's going to creep in at different times. And I just have strategies for dealing with it, right? Versus just being over it. 
But in terms of what I had to conquer or how I had to convince myself, I will in full transparency share, I am married. I'm not doing this on my own, right? So I have a husband who works full time and has the stuff, the benefits and things that, that I could still have access to. So some of what is scary about starting a business, I did not have to deal with in that capacity. But I'm also very independent. And I'm very much about making my own. So while I have a husband and while I could get on his insurance and all that, I take a lot of pride in making my own way in the world. And so I operate and I move. I'm figuring this out for myself too. I will say that I wasn't afraid this time. And I think because I had done it two other times. So leaving my first job where I'm working for this major consulting firm out of college, had like six weeks of vacation, all these perks and things, leaving that job to go teach. People had already told me I was crazy once before. That feeling of how you tell the people you love and how you articulate the thing you're doing that people aren't going to understand. I had done that already. And then I did it again because I actually left Baltimore City Schools at one point because um, there was some transition happening. The department I was in was going to be eliminated. And the sort of job I was going to kind of roll into did not excite me at all. And I was doing something else, entrepreneurial at the time. I was in network marketing, actually. And I was just, eh, I don't want to do this. And the day before my interview for this role, I told them, I'm not interested. And I left. I quit my job. And so I had already done that a couple of times. So when I went to start NLD, I had that muscle of, I will be okay. Nothing is unto death. Like none of these decisions are going to kill me. And I'd already heard, are you crazy? Or girl, you're tripping before. So I was okay with other people not understanding my decision making and just moving through it that way. For me too, when I was starting my business, I really had to get over the like, I'm going to be homeless by the side of a river thing, right? Which realistically, is that actually ever going to happen? No, but we have these deep-seated fears around scarcity, especially, you know, you being an independent woman and having always made my own money. It was, oh my God, like so much of my own identity and self-worth was wrapped up with being able to make a certain kind of amount of money. Absolutely. And I do think that the more you take risks, the more you trust that your instinct tells you the thing to do. And so that was a long way of saying that I had done, I had taken some risks on myself a couple of times. And so I knew my inner voice a little more. I knew my gut and I knew how to follow it a little more by the time I started NLD. So I know there are folks who have that entrepreneurial itch, have probably thought about starting their own thing. Tell me, what do you wish you had known then that you know now about starting your own business? Well, as I said, I started it with a six-month-old. Six-month-old baby. And so it did serve me because not knowing some of the stuff keeps you from scaring yourself out of it. But the things that I wish I had known now, I don't know that I have any wish I had known because I think things came to me as I could handle them, right? I feel like I had known so much before I would have been overwhelmed. So I feel I got the bits and pieces of information that I needed along the way and the timing that served me because I could digest it at that point. But if there were one thing, I would say it's really just about getting, having certain systems in place for yourself or just doing all of that, like not sexy stuff for the business. 
early on so that you can just be prepared. Be prepared for what you want. Be prepared for what you don't want. People don't business planning unless they to business plan, right? It's not the fun stuff. It's not the sexy stuff. But what business plans do, which I did not have one, by the way, I had a simple strategy for getting business, but not necessarily a, a broader business plan. What they do is provide peace of mind because you have your formula. It's basically your formula. And so then you can say no or yes to the things that you want or don't want with comfort and ease because you know what your formula is. So you just can filter things through what you've already decided is your formula and it either works for you or it doesn't. And you can say yes or no without a lot of emotional attachment to it. Yeah. Can we talk about money for a second? So I know the thing that I've heard that holds people back from this entrepreneurial journey is that they think they can't afford it. They think that they don't have enough in savings. And if I step out and I start to, it takes me six months or a year to get clients, can I afford it? Right. We're going to talk later about the access to capital that women of color have, but I'm just curious if you could talk a little bit about the cash flow in your business. I've been very transparent with folks about my own entrepreneurial journey, which is I'm actually making more now as a consultant than I ever did as an employee. Yeah. And I have the flexibility to say yes or no to whatever I want. Yeah. And I can write off a bunch of stuff, but again, I don't know if that's the case for you. So when I left my job, I went into it saying, one, I had managed consultants for us. So I knew what consultants were charging for things that I was managing them around or supporting them in doing, basically being a part of the team and getting it done, but having a consultant come on. So I knew what I really could ask for, one. Two, I went into this, I know I can definitely make my salary, the amount of money I'm making here, for sure. And that's my floor. Like, I can do that here. And I did in year one. I made what I was making at my job in year one, and that was good for me. Like, I was fine with that. And being an ambitious person, you're like, okay, well, I did that. And I did that with, like, relative ease. Let's level up. And so every year I've made more, I've had 20 to 50% increases in annual revenue, maybe even 100% this year, in the year of COVID even. Yeah. So it absolutely can be done. While I say I didn't have a business plan, I did spend three months doing business development, which I didn't know that was what I was doing at the time, right? But meeting with people I had relationships with saying, hey, this is what I'm going to be doing. I'm leaving, mm -hmm. having all these lunch meetings, sending emails out, getting people I knew who had networks to send emails out, introducing me to others. And so I had business out the door. So I left with enough business to keep me busy through that first year. And so the making money part was not actually a struggle. You know what? I had the same experience that first year and I actually became a consultant by accident. I had taken a job that didn't work out and I was like, well, I guess I'm a consultant. I mean, I had friends who hired me. So oh, I have a project. Can you help? And then more and more and more. And I was like, I guess I'm doing this. My first year without a strategy whatsoever, I made six figures and it really made me challenge my own beliefs about money. Cause in my mind, I came up middle-class family. My parents were children of immigrants. The belief I always had was you have to work hard in order to yes. make every cent. Yes. Turns out you can actually make a lot of money. 
Yes, and I think that as you speak to being a child of immigrants in my community, just kind of lack is abundant. Like the idea of money being hard to come by and when you do get it, guard it with your life because somebody's coming for it soon or whatever, definitely is a mindset that has followed me into adulthood and into business and all of that. And it's one that I'm working through even now. And the reason why I started working with the life coach and all of those things. So it doesn't just kind of go away because you started making some money. Sometimes it becomes that much more visible because you're made the money. And also sometimes you sabotage because you get afraid about the money that you started making or you get super nervous or whatever, because you did not think, I did not think that it was possible. Like I didn't come into this, like I came into this saying, if I can just make my salary, like that was it. If I can just make the salary I was making. And so growing through my own limiting beliefs about money is also opening doors up for me about ease too, right? Because I actually started the business for some ease. Right. That is, if you say a lesson learned, you're going to work. Like there's, yeah. there's a lot of work associated with it, but I did start the business for some ease in my life but, and for some control over my life and my time, mm-hmm. which I do have. But if I have a mindset that looks all the organizations I worked for, then I'm going to treat myself the same way they treated me. And that is something that I'm learning through, like that I don't have to slave over everything. And because I've worked in a school district where lack is also very prevalent and where we're all killing ourselves to do the smallest thing, that is how I work until very, very recently, like, I'm telling you, life coach thing happened during COVID. Like break away from some of those mindsets about how hard I have to work. Yes. But it's been so ingrained, both from a cultural standpoint and then from a professional standpoint because of the type of organization I work in. And I think a lot of people who listen to you are in nonprofit. Mm -hmm. And that is our mindset because there's so so much perceived lack in that space that Mm -hmm. we kill ourselves for the cause. We kill ourselves in the cause, and I also think we don't ask for enough, right? Yeah. So what I've been doing when I'm writing up proposals and stuff, I put down the number that I, Rhea would do, and then I ask myself, what would Chad do? Yes. Yes, I love it. I love it. Because I just think we under-ask. When we don't ask, we don't get. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, that gets into this whole other piece around white supremacy and undervaluing the labor of women of color, blah, blah, blah. And I'm, you know what? I'm going to charge you the Chad tax on this one. And undervaluing our intellect about what's needed and how we get things done. So I was listening to another, I don't know, it was a podcast or a webinar, and Lisa Price was on there, who was the founder of Carol's Daughter. Yeah, 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 and, absolutely. And she was talking about how we often don't end up getting funded for things because the people who are evaluating our funding proposals and such are looking at it saying, that's clearly not enough to do all of this because they don't operate from space of lack, right? They have, and then, so then they end up thinking, you don't know what you're doing. We don't know what we're doing because we're not asking for enough. Is we've just been so used to making miracles out of a little mm-hmm. bit. So we ask for the little bit because that's what we we're used to working with and getting. Yeah. And so yeah. it comes across a lack of knowledge about how to get it done when really we just know how to get it done. Right. <laughs> so we well, do. I also think by asking for more, we're training people 
to understand our value. Because if you yeah. ask for a little tiny bit and you're bringing all this value to the table, it's directly proportional to how much people pay. So even if it's the most brilliant thing, if you didn't ask for enough, they're going to be like, well, this is cute. This isn't a real professional. Right. Exactly. Exactly. For sure. So, Let's transition a little bit. I want you to talk about the well, because I think that's so exciting. So you were on this entrepreneurial journey and you couldn't find other black women entrepreneurs to support. So you decided to make one. So I don't even know that I was looking that deeply, like looking for the things. I think what happened was some words started just kind of percolating in my head, some terms, social capital and community and collaboration. All that. And so I didn't know what I was supposed to be happening with that. Like I was just kind of like, oh, what does this mean? And why is this coming up for me? And all of that. And so I actually just started having these round tables with other black women business owners saying, hey, these words keep kind of floating through my mind. And then using my facilitation chops, just started facilitating conversations around. I will put them up on boards and let's just throw, what does this mean to you when you hear this? Like, and we just started having discussions around it. And people saying, yes, like, I need community too. I'm not able to find, or I feel really lonely and I feel isolated and everybody being me too, me too. And I walked away, okay, I don't know what's going to come of this, but thanks for these conversations, ladies. And I had the idea for a thing. And then I sat on it for two years because fear, time, whatever. I didn't feel like I could articulate it clearly enough, or I did articulate it in uh, Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Business Program when we had to share, pitch our growth opportunity. And the people in the room and at the table who were evaluating didn't understand. That's ultimately what it boiled down to. They didn't understand why this was necessary or why just black women comes up, you know, whatever. And sort of I pulled back a bit because I'm okay, well, maybe people don't get this or maybe people wouldn't be interested in this. And then ultimately I did another incubator, a fellowship. And I said, I'm doing this fellowship because I need to move this forward and I'll do it then and fellowship gave a little, it gave a $2,000 stipend and I used that to kick it off. I, I, I kicked it off and that is kind of how it got going. And how many women do you have in the well now? 35. So we have 35 members. We started with 10 in November of 2018. And because of COVID have now like been able to expand geographies sooner than what we had planned. So we have some members in, we started just in Baltimore, and now we have members in New York and D.C. and are looking to continue to grow. That's so exciting. It's so funny. Like, your journey and my journey are mirroring each other because I actually have a network of Asian American women, not necessarily entrepreneurs, but we call it Asian boss ladies. I love it. And so we're starting to get traction, too, which is really interesting. So tell me what your perspective is about this because I'm a big fan of entrepreneurship. Like it's a joke, but not really a joke that everyone I talk to I'm always quit your job and be an entrepreneur, right? <laughs> right, uh, right. I'm an evangelist. And I think I just read Winners Take All. And so mm -hmm. I'm really struggling with this idea of is entrepreneurship the way to wealth building, especially for women of color, or is it just a way for corporate America to just to further shut us out of the power structure and keep all of those profits for themselves? I'm really, 
I'm torn. I don't know. What do you think? So, I mean, the data says that it is a way of wealth building. Like the data says the wealthiest people are entrepreneurs and they own real estate. Like we know that. But, you know, that data is also about white men primarily. So for me, wealth and why I'm an entrepreneur is beyond the money-making aspect of my wealth, right? Initially, when I stepped out to be an entrepreneur, I told people I wanted to own my energy. And so ownership of my energies for me is a form of my wealth building. And, but when we talk about financial wealth, I do think that I still believe in it as a primary driver and contributor to wealth building. We know that whether we're working for someone or in entrepreneurship, women are making less money. But I also know that as an entrepreneur, I can at least go after the money that I want in the way on my terms. Like I can put it out there that this is what I charge for this. And I can maneuver and seek opportunities in a way that works for me versus just kind of having to flow through the system of a corporation or a company through their channels and their ladder and all of that. So I still believe in it fully as a mechanism for our wealth building. And I think it allows us to create opportunities. So we're going to hire us. Mm. And so when we own companies, we're hiring us. And I would say we do that too in the corporate world too, but there's fewer opportunities to do that, to bring others. It's because you then have to advocate for the person and you've got to do all of this work in somebody else's company to bring that other person in from your community or another woman who deserves that opportunity. Whereas when it's your business, your company, as you're growing, as you're building, you can create those opportunities and provide jobs and that creates wealth for you. I was going to say too, I think this pandemic has really laid bare the fact that being an employee is actually much riskier than being an entrepreneur because you can be laid off, furloughed tomorrow and you have no say over that. Whereas if you're an entrepreneur, you might have some day-to-day less certainty, but you are in charge of your own business. I've been telling people that for a while prior to the pandemic when people were saying, well, you got this, you went and did this, aren't you scared or whatever? And what was funny to me, because the space that I work in, in education, so many of the people I would be having these conversations with grant-funded positions. <laughs> and I'm That's not stable. <laughs> no, I'm like, you really are, I have more stability than you, honestly, because yeah. You have this grant funded position. And of course, the organization is going to sell it to you as fine and stable. And even some of the other people that I would talk to who were in corporate positions and big consulting companies and such, I said, it's no different than what I'm doing. These consulting companies have clients and they have contracts. They hire based on the work that they have and the work that they know is coming in. So they tell you, they don't tell you that they've got to go fish for the next thing to keep you on payroll, but they do. If yeah. they, when this contract ends, there's no more money for you unless they have the next thing. And it's really the same thing for me. And so I know as an entrepreneur, I know what I have coming mm-hmm. in, you know, mm-hmm. like versus just trusting the company, which is not going to be transparent with you because they need you to feel safe and secure. So you stick right. around. So right. I don't mean that in a derogatory and negative way. That's just how it works. I would say too, around the fear piece, because I think that's really what's holding us back from starting our own businesses. For me, I have two thoughts about it, which is one, in my life, I've been able to figure it out, right? 
in any situation, I can point to many instances where I walked and I was like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to figure it out. Right. And then my plan B was, look, if everything goes to shit, worst case scenario, I'll be an executive director again. Like that's my plan. Right. Exactly. You know, so that safety net provided enough comfortability. Let's try it and fly. Let's see what happens. Absolutely. Okay. Let's talk about black women entrepreneurs in particular, because I think we know black women make 60 cents on the dollar. Mm-hmm. We know that they're chronically underfunded, underinvested in, undercapitalized. So I'm wondering what it is that we all can do to support black women entrepreneurs. So put money into us. It's as simple as that. Fund our business, fund us, support the businesses that we start, support the initiatives that we lead, share them with other people. So one of the things that I started during Corona, but especially once the uprising started, was I created a campaign through the well called Budgeting for Liberation. And for me, it was about pouring some of my business revenue into causes that are of importance to me for the liberation of Black people and women. And so other members ended up pouring into where other Black women businesses. And I'm like, huh, I wasn't even thinking about it. I was thinking much more about the on the ground things around protesting injustice, but our economic liberation is a part of that movement. And so if people are serious about equity, then they will fund the crowdfunding campaigns. They will promote the products. They will use their platforms. There was a platform that was started a couple months ago by some women called Share the Mic, where prominent white women were giving their Instagram platforms to Black women for the day to highlight what they were doing. And so I really think that where people can support is actually pouring in, like it's pouring in those resources because most of us do not have friends and family rounds for funding. So we are bootstrapping our businesses and we also are primary breadwinners in our households and communities in a lot of cases. And so that's expensive. You can only get so far. Of course, there will be a few shooting stars, but that's not the norm. It's not equal and it's not sort of, we aren't all on level playing ground. So you're only going to have some shooting stars. And so putting money into our businesses, whatever way you can, whether it's the purchasing of our products and services and making that a priority and how you do business. And it may be a little inconvenient for a while. One of the things I started doing is I created a collection or a folder in my Instagram account called Black AF. And so anytime I'm seeing a Black-owned business and a Black woman-owned business in particular, I just save a photo from their business. So it becomes this Rolodex for me of Black-owned businesses that I can go and support and women, Black women-owned businesses that I can go and support so that I know that they're there, right? Like I can get over that story in my head, of, but there isn't one that does this. Right. So right. then I don't support the Black-owned XYZ or the Black woman-owned whatever, then I have to own that as a conscious decision because it is there. And and now I know some of them are there. And crowdfunding is a huge way for us to also grow in our businesses. So when you see Black women-owned businesses having these crowdfunding campaigns, these aren't not seeing them as these charity things. Like we're not handling business right. See them as the same way you see white men in Silicon Valley when they come in with their 
million or two million from friends and family, that friends and family round that they did, understanding that there is generational wealth around them and community wealth around them that does not exist for us in the most part. So when you see those campaigns, those GoFundMe's or those iFundWomen campaigns or those FedEx initiatives to raise money and you put the 20 or the $100 or whatever, recognize that you are a part of our community, our friends and family round, and it's not just some for people who don't know how to do business, but that's a big part of the narrative. And I have to say, you hit upon a nerve for me because I am so sick of that venture capital Silicon Valley boys club. I mean, and we can look at recent unicorns that have blown up. Uber, WeWork, Theranos, and in every single one of those cases, I'm, you know, I don't think that would have happened if you had a woman of color in charge. Yeah. Yep. Somebody would have said, Eh, I don't know, or this doesn't make a lot of sense, but because you had, and it's the same thing where, as I said, when I pitched the well during my time in Goldman Sachs, people looking, but why, or is that really needed? And not understanding my target market and making a decision about what we needed and don't need because you didn't understand my market. I always think about that story of that guy who founded Bevel, the razors for men. He couldn't get funding because he was pitching to white men and they didn't understand that ingrown hairs were a problem for black men. As it turns out, it's a huge problem. And he he hit upon a multi-million dollar idea, but he just wasn't pitching to the people. Yep. Yep. So us having platforms where people who are listening to understand, and while you might still not fully understand, believing that we are expert enough in our experience that what we're creating will solve a problem that we are experiencing and sewing into that. Like, it's really that simple. Well, I mean, Nikki, is it really just about trust? Because over and over I hear you bet on the jockey, not on the horse. Mm -hmm. So if fundamentally, if I'm somebody who doesn't trust, understand, and have respect for women of color as leaders and drivers of business, then how yeah. can I really truly invest in a deep way? And that's real. And that's something that we can't change anybody's mind about by just being present and showing up, right? Like that is work that individuals have to do, have to look inside and say, why? Ask themselves why, why they don't think that this will work and whether or not they would think it would work if it were somebody else and really get honest with themselves. And no matter what we do, no matter how polished and perfect our presentation is or whatever, we cannot change people's hearts and minds based on that. That's work that they have to do. And that's why we have to free ourselves of perfectionism because it's not on us. It's on us people to challenge the ways in which they question and doubt women and women of color in particular. I've taken up a lot of space. Other folks who want to jump into this conversation. Rochelle. Hi. I was just really coming in as a listener. I think I had thought about entrepreneurship so long ago. And I think at this point in my life and career, I just, I don't say I'm second guessing it, but I'm just reevaluating what I think that means for me. And it was just inspiring to hear you talk about it, Nikia, with having a young family. I have a 15-month-old now, and so just the idea of it and the thought of it seems really daunting. 
at this time, so I'm going to serve time and stage. But I guess one thing that really resonated was the thought about kind of managing your energy. And I wanted to see if you could expound a little bit on that. Like how, I guess, and this is really for both of you, what have been some of the things that you have felt having worked in a, uh, I wouldn't call it a nine to five because nonprofit work is, is never within, neatly within those hours, but kind of having a more traditional role at an organization and what are some of the things that you've really noticed have been just truly beneficial to how you living and operating and what that's meant to you? And then I feel I think that there's so many negatives. What are the things that maybe was a surprising challenge that you didn't think about or didn't expect? So leaving the nine to five nonprofit world and starting my own business, the trend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I have felt so free. <laughs> In leaving, like, I'm struggling to come up with what I feel has been a challenge. Like, I have not looked back over my shoulder once and felt, did I do the thing? I have been 100% sure that this way of living for me, and when I speak about managing my energy and owning my energy is what I say, not even managing, owning it, has been so much more freeing for me than being an employee. And the school district, by the way, is one of my biggest clients. But being on this side of it, when you work in bureaucracies and all that, and I get to think outside of that box and not be, you deal with the bureaucratic structures. I get to be out of it. It has been just so freeing. Like if anything, I would say that I've taken from it in terms of, and this has served me and both not served me is the way in which we work, right? Like we work and we figure out how to get stuff done. Like we go over the box, under the box, we cut a hole in the box. We do not operate inside of boxes because, I mean, the bureaucratic structures, yes, but with regard to problem solving, because we have to figure it out. Like that's a space that I come from and those are the type of people that I've worked around. And I would say one of the most beautiful things about the space that I've worked in is the people that I have become lifelong friends with. They are the kind of people that continue to give me hope in the world that people are not awful and shitty. <laughs> and that has been the biggest thing. When I think about the diversity of my friendships, it's because of the spaces I've worked in. I would follow that up a little more crudely. I would say none of the bullshit, all of the fun. Yes. And also by the fun, I mean, really defining your zone of genius and what you want to do and taking a pass from all the things you don't want to do. And also taking a pass on people you don't want to work with. That is the most freeing thing ever. I'm like, oh no, I I don't have to deal with you. Absolutely. (laughs) That is amazing. It is. That is. The CEO of this company says that we're not dealing with you and actually we're going to fire you as a client because I don't want to deal with you. Yep. Absolutely. Tony has a question. Hi, Tony. Hey. Hi. I know your background is in strategy. And so my question is for new entrepreneurs, can you elaborate on how they could create and implement those strategies to start their business so that they can know how to generate money? And I feel that's the part people are most scared about is how do I make money, especially if I don't already have those connections in place? Where do I start? Where do I plan? Like the businessy part and the planning business part, but the strategy part is, I think, hard for a lot of people, especially yeah. in money. And strategies can be really simple. Like, I think we make the word strategy mean that it has to be something really complex. And 
it can be really simple. So I did hear you mention not having the network. So I will say my strategy, I didn't make a business plan. My strategy upon leaving was I'm going to meet with all of these people and I'm going to tell them that I'm leaving my job and they know what I do because I've had the benefit of working with all of them. And that's one thing that that was a big thing that I learned. Everything matters. Everything you do matters. I thought when I was working in Baltimore City Schools, because my roles were always propping up other people, I was special assistant, which is kind of the chief of staff in a couple different areas that because I wasn't the face of the work and the voice of the work, I was propping up others. I thought that people didn't necessarily see what I was doing, but people totally saw it and everything matters, right? So my strategy being able for me to rely on my past performance when I told people I was leaving, that was the strategy for me. And so I would say, you think you don't have a network? Because I also said that to myself. Oh, well, you know, I don't have a big network or I was always behind the scenes. So I'm not the face or the name that people know. But you do have a network. You do have people who know you and who will vouch for you and who've seen the work that you've done. And so I actually created a little guide around this a while ago, which is just about generating leads for yourself. And it really is having conversations with people. It's the coffee meetings. It's the Zoom call. I made a simple graphic on a Word document and PDF'd it and said, hey, this is the stuff I do. And shared it with people and was just having conversations and meetings with people and some were people who introduced me to others and not all of them led to business and not all of them led to business away. Like some of them led to business a year later or two years later, but we had the conversation. And so I would say leverage what you're good at. So if you're really good at writing, then write a plan, go ahead and write it. And there are tons of tools and softwares and things that make it simple to write a plan for yourself. But if you're, you're great at relationship building, and building relationships with people, then reach out to people and start building relationships and use the relationships that you have to share what you're doing. People, you'll be surprised how many people want to share what you're doing with other people. And Tony, I took your question a little bit differently, which is to me, it's not about strategy. It's about actually having to sell, which I think is the hardest part for entrepreneurs. Wait, I have to market myself and sell my services, which because I do a lot of consulting on fundraising, I'm like, you have to ask for the gift. You have to actually ask for the money. So I think it's partially about getting over the fear and re of rejection and asking for the money. Yeah. Tony, in your case, I would say if you truly are starting from zero, is there a world where you could do a couple of pro bono projects for in exchange for testimonials and referrals? So there are a lot of ways, you know, there's LinkedIn, there's strategy sessions you can do for free in order to expand your network. There's, you know, LinkedIn lives you can do, Facebook lives. There are a bunch of different strategies and tactics, but I think it really boils down to you got to get comfortable selling and asking for money. And you did this with somebody. Because whatever it is you are expert in, you know that you're expert because you've done this work somewhere with someone. So don't discount those relations. That's what I meant by everything matters. Sell to them because they know you. You won't really have to do as much of the sell, right? It'll just be about a conversation and a dialogue about what your plans are and how they can support you to on your journey and for your next step. Well, and ultimately you're solving a problem for someone and getting paid for it. And then guess what, you have a business. Okay, one last question. Chagufte, I know you're at an interesting transition point in your life. Love to hear your thoughts about this conversation. Hi, so 
This is really interesting, especially hearing about entrepreneurship during a time where there's so much uncertainty, but at the same time, a lot of hope. What I want to know is how have your mentorships or sponsorships kind of helped you in building those relationships and continuing with your mission when it comes to entrepreneurship? So I've had some really great mentors, I will say, from my previous job from Baltimore City Schools. And that goes back to that conversation about everything you do matters. And those people just rallied around me when I said, hey, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go out and start my own thing. So many of them had gone to become president, VP, or executive director, or CEO of other organizations because of the role that I was in. I was in a role where I supported the C-suite for Baltimore City Schools. So as administrations changed, they left and became C's somewhere else. And what they did for me was leverage their position in the world and their names, if you will, to put me in other rooms with other people who could use my services or brought me in the rooms with them where they were building something new. But what it required was that I always showed up in the space before starting my business because they knew that they could trust that I would get it done. And I think that is the case for women most of the time, right? Like they, you've done so much amazing work and people know you've done so much amazing work. You've gone above and beyond because we feel we have to, right? We feel we have to absolutely do more than the thing that was required of us to even be seen. And so you've done all this amazing work. And so those mentors, those people you saw as mentors, reaching out to them first and foremost when you go to kick off this journey because whether they've been an entrepreneur or not because what I had was most of my mentors were not entrepreneurs but they again moved on to lead in other spaces so whether they've done it or not they want to see you win and so they're going to find those opportunities for you among their peer group. That's really helpful. So Nikki, we're just about at time. Any last thoughts before we sign off? And also, where can we find all of your information? I'll make sure to put that in the show notes. So the well is the wellnetwork.us is our website where we're redesigning. You can get more information about us on LinkedIn. And we're on LinkedIn as the Women Entrepreneur Leadership Lab. Or you can find me on LinkedIn, Nikia Drummond, and connect to the well from there as well as NLD Strategic Consulting Firm. Perfect. So I will make sure to put all those in the show notes. Any last thoughts as we sign off? Ladies, we do all the time. We should move mountains for ourselves and recognize that you have everything in you to do the thing that you feel called to do. Like if your spirit is telling you and you're wrestling with taking some step, it's because it's in you to take. And so you won't have clarity about all of it but you take a step and the next step will be revealed to you because that's it. And I think that entrepreneurship is a spiritual journey. And so you got to stay in contact with your intuition, with your guides, with whatever it is that leads you. But when you do that and you connect those things, you'll find a way. Thank you so much, Nakia. Thank you, Rhea. This was so fun. Thank you so much. Good luck to you. Thanks so much. Bye everyone.